Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Daily Objective, brought to you by the Ayn Rand Center UK. As you can see by my backdrop, I am on the road. I'm on the Pennsylvania Turnpike at the moment, on my way to New Jersey, but I had to stop in a, in a rest stop, uh, one of the many awesome rest stops on the Turnpike, just to do this show with James Valiant, of course, my favorite co-host. And we're going to be doing something. Uh, we're going to be doing a show today about a... F- I don't know that it's a controversial topic anymore. It's been the subject of news for the last few weeks. On January 7th, uh, a a young man, 29-year-old black man by the name of uh, Tyree Nichols was pulled over uh, uh, ostensibly for reckless driving by five Memphis police officers who proceeded to uh, beat him to the point where three days after uh, he died. Uh, This, of course, brings up tons of of issues that have been on the forefront of, I think, the American psyche and the news cycle for a very long time with respect to police brutality, funding of police, training of police. And I think we're going to get into all the details with James. Nobody knows it. The, the, I think the law better than him and the and perspective of applying objectivism to the law better than him. James, welcome again. It's great to see you. Thank you. Always great to see you, Mark. Yeah, what a horrific grim thing. You know, usually I say, you know, because of my uh, 18 years experience as a public prosecutor in the United States, I usually say at this point in criminal investigations and cases, hey, let's not form any judgments. Let's not be rushed to judgment form. Let's get all the evidence. And uh, because too often I have seen the press, you know, jump the gun, not know what they were talking about. Experts start start flapping their jaws (laughs) when they don't have all the facts. You know, in this age, though, of police body cams and video cameras everywhere and cell phones taking pictures, you know, people just on the street, we really uh, have, it's almost as though we can witness the event ourselves. And in this case, uh, I've seen several now angles and various body cam shots, and I am able, as a witness to the extent of what I saw, come to a very negative evaluation about uh, these police officers. Um, and I use the, the term police officer generously. Uh, it was really a horrific. They beat this man to death for no even slightly justifiable reason. You know, as a prosecutor, I worked with cops and I know that they can get emotional. They're human beings like all the rest of us. If they're chasing down, you know, in hot pursuit of some violent criminal or if the if they you know, there's someone they stopped and there's it become a physical threat to them. Uh, I can understand them getting emotional. They're humans like the rest of us. That does not justify them in using excessive force, but at least I can understand the emotion. In this case, the first thing that struck me, and it's absolutely remarkable, how fired up these cops were. They pull them out for a, what, a traffic stop? A traffic stop? And they're already upset. He gets away from their beating. And then they chase him down. Some other cops come in and intervene. And then they continue the beating and then beat him to death over there. Uh, I cannot for the life of me fathom what got these cops so hyped up emotionally on a case like this. You have a nonviolent guy. It's a relatively routine traffic stop. You have to wonder what caused this. I have my own thinking about what might might have caused this, but just from looking at the video, it was unjustifiable violence. These guys are murderers. They are crooks in cop uniform. Uh, And uh, I think there are various reasons why that's happening. Uh, But I think there's also a wider context to these issues, as you say, that we've gone through in recent years that might also be worth discussing. 
Yeah, I mean, I've seen curated versions of the video, so I haven't watched the entire video through. I think it's something like 26 minutes or more. It's it's quite quite lengthy. I've only seen uh, edited sections of it from from news clips. It certainly seems that from moment one, when they first stop him and approach his vehicle, they were highly aggressive. Um, which to anybody in that situation, I imagine particularly a, a black person who, you know, um, has a, a great deal more baggage to bring to a, a confrontation of that type, that would be frightening. That would be a very frightening thing, and no. which seems that at, at various points in this encounter, as it began to escalate, he feared for his life and was trying to run for his life to get away from these people who were beating him, pepper spraying him, and um, shocking him uh, to, to attempt to get him to comply exactly with their orders. Um, so if he was on the ground and he said, I'm on the ground, they're like, on your stomach, give me, they keep telling him to, to the, the, progressing the orders in a highly, highly aggressive way. Now, now you say you have some ideas about why this, why this happens. Um, tell me about your, your thoughts and feelings about why, why, why approach a situation from the get-go like this? Why escalate aggression until it becomes deadly? In recent years, police, uh, recruitment, police uh, training, police uh, hiring of new cops has become harder and harder. Just as with the military, it's harder to get people to want to be cops. And when you have fewer applicants, that reduces the um, population group from which you're selecting, and it means you're going to have to reduce your standards by necessity. And one of the most important things, perhaps the most important thing that officer hiring and training looks to is the psychological demeanor of the person with whom we're going to entrust the use of authorized force. We're going to give them a gun and a billy club and we're going to go tell them to go arrest violent criminals or break up bar fights, you know, at two in the morning. Uh, so they have to have the right kind of psychological demeanor and training uh absolutely and with uh declining numbers even wanting to be cops uh they just have to reduce their standards it also get, creates a psychological mentality among certain police officers of being on the outside alienated hated by their communities and this gives us them an us versus them mentality we're the enemy we're the perceived enemy going into any situation and i think between the two it's increasing, uh, let me put it this way, decreasing the standards, the psychological standards, uh, uh, the educational standards, uh, even creating problems within training because they're letting things slide by that maybe they shouldn't have to. I would note that the five cops all arrested here were short-termers that all only been on the force for, for two or three years, suggesting to me that they are in fact recent hires. Uh, that being the case, uh, uh, I can only think that, yeah, this is part of that problem. We also know that with uh, both soldiers and cops, people who are trained to use force, uh, the use of force um, can become an emotional thing for them. You notice that at the end of this video, one of the more disturbing things is the way the cops are fist bumping and high-fiving and, yeah, get this. We even have allegations now that cops were taking pictures at the scene of the crime and sharing them with other with other officers, uh, that's being investigated now. 
So uh, I think that this, they had a special unit that they'd just formed only in recent years called the Scorpion Unit. Uh, it was an acronym for something, you know, uh, you know, stopping crime or violence or something. Uh, but this new unit uh, that all of these cops were involved in has also been involved in other accusations that have come to light since this arrest. Other people have come forward saying, yeah, I was yanked out of my car because, you know, I was just walking away. They wanted to talk to me. It was just a witness. This poor woman was yanked out of the car by one of the same officers recently in a very similar situation. Uh, I think there was another allegation of a person stopped for a traffic stop who was also mistreated and beaten, not to death. I mean, here the, the, the young man was beaten to death. And as you say, can you imagine being a young African-American male, especially the way we, we look at cops these days, the way the press has covered cops these days? I think it's important to set a broader context on that broader issue, too. You know, the fact is that of the millions of police contacts that occur every year, of the more than a million arrests that cops make every year in the United States. There are only about a thousand or so police involved shootings. Now think about that. That is a very small number. It also has been declining over the years, declining. In fact, accusations of excessive force have been declining uh, uh, steeply over the decades. If you are, now let's imagine you're involved in one of those thousand shooting, officer involved shootings. How many involved the shooting of an unarmed person? Well, that's only a couple of dozen. And in most of those cases, the cops are found to have acted justifiably, at least. Yeah, it looked like it was a, a deadly threat. And more than that, your odds, now get this, your odds of being shot as an unarmed person, if you're a black man, are greater to be shot by a black cop than by a white cop. But we haven't, as you said, there's, there's two factors immediately uh, that make us think uh, the situation with cops is is looking bleak. One, the the pool from which we get to select police is going down because of the popularity of the job is going down. Cops are increasing. Uh, people are increasingly viewing cops as not a, a very positive or good influence on society, and so they have to they're, they have to choose from a, a worse and worse sort of uh, group of folks. There's a culture also of us versus them where they feel very separated from them. And uh, of course, an us versus them mentality is a conflict forward type of mentality. You also have the news highlighting every single particularly racially charged incident that happens between cops and civilians. So especially a black person being pulled over by a cop is going to have the sensationalized news in his mind and in his psyche informing him. So we have a, wow. we have a situation seems uniquely qualified for brutality. One of the things I wanted to say, though, because I didn't hear this amongst the conditions, is more and more laws are being passed that give police officers greater latitude with respect to the kinds of force that they can use against people. Now, we're pushing back against that now, but uh, lots of libertarian types, people who uh, like liberty, like objectivists, even some folks on the right were a little more free state libertarian oriented oftentimes equate the way in which we're going as into a police state does 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 the does that kind of scenario that kind of socio-political situation prime prime the pump so to speak for for th those types of aggressive 
authoritarian types to occupy the role as opposed to somebody who's actually a protector or a night watchman. Exactly, exactly. Philosophically, from an objectivist standpoint, we've seen distressingly the rise of tribalism. We've seen the reigniting of racist tribalism, unfortunately, on both the right and the left, frankly. Um, you know, and then of course the cops, you know, cops are, because of this anti-police attitude, themselves targeted, assassinated. Innocent yeah. young cops just sitting in their uh, police unit, uh, people will come up and assassinate them, shoot them because of this perception. And so long as it is it, in it is increasingly looked at in this tribalistic way, of course, people are going, both sides are going to look, oh, I'm being targeted. No, I'm being targeted. Right. Now, of course, police force is an inherent problem. We do authorize people to have the legit, morally legitimate use of force. And that always has to be regulated. That's why we need a Bill of Rights. That's why we need to hamstring government. So we need to have uh, civil rights uh, lawsuits against these cops who do have, as you say, increasingly, you know, the people have wanted to eliminate the, for example, the immunity that officers have from lawsuits. You have to sue the agency, not the cop himself personally, if you had a beef, except under certain circumstances. Uh, and I think that needs to be looked into. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but this is an area where inherently we need to have strict rules, uh, strict regulations governing when and how officers can do their job. If it is objectively apparent uh, to an officer, even if he's wrong, let's say a, a cop sees someone crawling out of a window, uh, uh, a second story window at two in the morning of some bi business that's closed. Uh, it's perfectly reasonable for the cop to approach that person and see if it's a burglar, right? I mean, they're paid to be suspicious. On the other hand, we have to have strict rules about how they use force and how they uh, investigate cases. I'm a big fan of these body cams. I see no reason why every officer in the field should not be equipped with one of these body cams. Uh, if anything, that I think will help reduce the number of cases. And again, it incre only increases in my mind the wonder. All of these cops knew that there were body cams and cell phones going on around here, and yet they did what they did. Well, you know, sometimes, I mean, I know people who've been on reality shows and there's cameras in their faces all the time. And after a couple of weeks, they just sort of forget that they're there. So, right. you know, it's highly possible that this just becomes a part of their life and they and they forget that they're there. I have to say, if any one of these cops or any three of these cops had a blue belt in Brazilian jiu jitsu, none <laughs> would have happened. They could have gently made him comply if he wasn't complying exactly the way they thought he should comply with no screaming no aggression and no hurt they wouldn't have have to have pulled guns which it looked like they did fairly immediately they wouldn't fairly have to either they wouldn't have to they wouldn't have to pepper spray him they just gently put him on the ground exactly where they want him to be and he would not really be able to do anything about it it was a traffic stop they traffic had stop. Car, they knew his, the registration, even if the young man had ran away and they hadn't caught up to him then and there, it is highly likely they would have been able to contact him at some later point. Yeah. Why is it that this, that, you see my point, why is it that a traffic stop of all things, when he's leaving the car that he was driving behind, you'll be able to catch up with him probably. Why does that cause in you this fury that you have to go chase him down and literally beat this young man to death? Uh, it's outrageous. It really is. 
and it's got to reflect something bad in our culture. Um, you know, the question is race, too. And a lot of people have said, and I know we were talking about this last week when we were discussing this a little bit, uh, the five cops that were initially charged were all African-Americans themselves, as well as the young man. Now, uh, on the left, we're hearing, but well, still racism. White supremacy can still be involved in uh, a case like this because it's affecting the minds of African-Americans. White supremacy, I think, is taking it a little far. I don't know that uh, African-Americans are <laughs> tremendously influenced by current white supremacy. On the other hand, racism can have and does have a negative impact on African-Americans. It's not just, you know, whites that are the problem with racism. It's African-Americans inculcating in themselves a view, a negative view of themselves. People forget the self-esteem effect that racism has. It, you know, it's not just an aggressive thing that other people can do unfairly, uh, you know, judging people by their race, but it's something we could do to ourselves. And that never really gets a lot of play. So if racism here is a factor, it's a different kind of factor than it would be than, say, white, I would define as white supremacy, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, before we get to some possible solutions for this craziness, uh, um, do we have any super chats that? Uh... That's a fair question. And I had my glasses here just a second ago and I seem to have misplaced them. So I'm uh, unfortunately in the position of asking Daniel uh, to read. I do see we have some questions in the chat. I wonder, Daniel, if you could help me out here. Yes, yes sir. Can you? Of course. Thank you. Yeah, sure. So we have a super chat from Jonathan. Thank you so much for $1. We have a super chat from Catherine for $5. She says, it was horrible. Agree with James. Lower standards, less training. And that's exactly it. It's exactly it. We we're hiring that we're forced to hire cops because of lower standards. And I think there are a lot of good reasons why cops don't want to be cops today. I mean, a lot. So many of the big cities in the United States are having an increasing crime problem, um, uh, especially with violent crimes and things like that. And minor crimes, it's because uh, liberal, uh, what we call leftist DAs, leftist mayors of these cities are simply not prosecuting criminals the way they used to. If people get right out of jail, if it's a revolving door, uh, and that's what's happening with these new bail uh, rules that they have, dangerous criminals with records are being let right out of jail after a felony arrest to commit more crimes. The, I mean, if you're a cop and you're making an arrest, and you've just arrested someone on a felony and you see him out on the street the next day, that's got to destroy your motivation. It really, really does. Uh, so yeah, uh, fewer people uh, are thinking that being a policeman, which is already a thankless task, you know, you, there you are a cop. You know, I remember I was a DA for 18 years and the stories that I would hear are just horrific. They would have to clean up traffic accidents or they'd have to go to you know a domestic violence scene where two or a couple are bloody and fighting each other and drunk at two in the morning and they've got to separate them it is a dangerous unpleasant task uh out there and it's often a thankless task they get sworn at and spit at for doing their job and now to in effect unfairly demonize them which to some degree was happening has now actually reduced the actual standards in hiring because fewer people want to be cops. I think that's a part of it. Indeed. So um, there, there was a big movement after George Floyd 
to defund the police. Now, uh, intuitively, that just struck me as wrong because it seemed to me what the problem was, was lack of training, which meant that you needed more funding so that these people could not only resolve conflicts effectively, but be trained physically to deal with con potential conflict in a non-lethal way. Now, to me, that means this. If you're a beat cop, if you're out there and you're, 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 you're potentially subjecting yourself to violent encounters with people, you, one, have to be in condition, and two, you have to be at least a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which will enable you to handle pretty much any one-on-one -on -one issue with somebody without having to take your gun out, take your taser out, pepper spray them. You can easily handle people who are much bigger and stronger than you with these techniques. And if there's a couple of you on the scene who have this capacity, you're even more capable of handling somebody like that without really hurting them at all. So definitely more funding, definitely training and, and physical conditioning for the for the people who are, who are going to be out there. Body cams for everybody. And perhaps there's a place there's something to be said for civilian oversight. I think people feel a little uncomfortable that perhaps police commissions are inside in, internal affairs bureaus are, are in, in other words, police investigating police makes people feel uncomfortable. Maybe they would want somebody who's not so quote unquote interested and would have a little bit more philosophical and emotional detachment from the idea to oversee, okay. to, oversee some, to oversee some of these, uh, some of these incidents. So what say you to all this stuff? Oh, I, I definitely, I definitely, definitely, definitely agree with each and every one of those elements. Um, you know, and when an officer is involved in any kind of uh, incident, uh, generally there is a review board uh, involved that involves both current but also retired officers, but people who are not peace officers. I think that's an important thing. If there is an investigation, what they'll what we'll do is we will convene a grand jury. And those are people, ordinary people from the street. And that gives me my own experience with that uh, grand jury experience. They meet in secret, but they're ordinary people uh, from the community. And they can give a very, hey, something stinks there. Or something, oh, no, 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 there's some, I don't care. That looked like he was justified. That outsider view gives a, a much better view on reviewing whether it was excessive police force or not. Um, mm. But yeah, we have to absolutely uh, be on guard against this sort of thing. It, it's, uh, and I have to also confirm what you were saying uh, about martial arts. Those police officers whom I knew to be trained in martial arts, it was astonishing. It was astonishing. They could, with one hand or one move, de-escalate an entire situation. <laughs> in effect, take the, the, the guy who's initiating the, the violence out without injuring him at all. Just. Yeah. Quiet him down, silence him, put him off the scene for a few seconds so they can calm the situation down and get a control over it. So I really also want to endorse that idea. If they're the better their training in self-defense, martial arts, how to subdue without using deadly force, and those are the officers that can very quickly subdue without using deadly force and at least get a handle on a situation initially, um, uh, I think all that's very helpful as well. Yeah. Reverse that officers who rarely uh, pull guns and or fire them at people spend lots of time on the firing range learning how to fire that weapon, which is important, uh, but they spend almost no time engaging in the hand-to-hand -hand kind of things that they're going to find themselves in 100% of the time, nearly every day.
and they don't know how to grapple. So if they could, if they have to qualify in the pistol range, which I think they should, they should also qualify on the mat. All right. You get your, you, you practice de-escalating situations with people whom you don't know what they're going to do. And you practice that jujitsu that you need to, to, to be proficient out there. And once you qualify, you can go out into the streets. If you don't qualify, you're at the, you're on a desk job. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. And there are ways of dealing with this. I mean, if an officer even has a slight problem, even if there's a controversy, you know, uh, you know, working with people like the San Diego Police Department or the FBI, you realize that's what they do. Even if there's a suspicion, they'll take them off the streets. They'll get them, you know, they'll investigate the case. They'll get them into counseling, even before they know what's going on. Give them a desk job, for gosh sake. Uh, and if they are involved in something that looks bad, you put them on administrative leave. Um, there are ways of dealing with this, uh, but one of the worst things uh, to do is to set uh, you know, the officer against the community. Uh, communities have tried very, very hard to have officers reflect the community ethnically. Uh, and more than that, cops who come from that neighborhood know what's going on, know the schools, know the gangs, know the families, know the businesses. The more you can have community, and this was something that was coming in as I was a DA, community policing, getting a beat cops back to understand their neighborhoods, understand their people. I think that goes a long way in eliminating uh, these incidents. But of course, when you're hostile to the cops, when cops are evil as such, when everybody's has this exaggerated, unrealistic view of police violence, especially as it relates to race, I think that it is overstated. I think it's ridiculously overstated. But now we're getting into a position where it's becoming more and more of a reality because they're having to scrape the bottom of the barrel to get these cops. It's a really a phenomenon of the neo-tribalism we're experiencing in this century. Indeed, and the tribes are sort of divided as well into the causes of crime. And right now, the people in control believe that uh, forces exterior to you are responsible for that. It's society, and that's why they're turning these these people around and 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 diminishing the punishments for the things that they do, rather than holding them accountable. It's society. It's us. Uh, we exactly. have to. And, and, and redefine things so that we're not stigmatizing these folks as criminals. So we'll, we'll raise the, the, uh, uh, the, 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 lower the penalty for, for larceny, say, to, you know, anything over $950 now we'll consider theft uh, in California. And, and it, and it uh, in incentivizes a epidemic of shoplifting and theft to the point where major stores in major chains you'd think would be able to absorb costs are leaving cities. Right. Or, look, when I came Chicago to Pittsburgh, leaving by the, every, every week there's a new truck pulling out a big business from Chicago. And can you blame right. them? When I was when I when I came to uh, when I came to Pittsburgh, I was shocked to see allergy medication not locked behind cabinets because in California people are walking out with that stuff. And uh, and closing down stores because of it, and so they're all behind locked cabinets. Pretty much anything that's over twenty bucks is locked behind a cabinet. <laughs> Awful. Well, I think that we have to make a distinction that the left does not make. There are certain crimes which do disproportionately affect minorities, especially African Americans and people at the lower end of the economic spectrum. I would po point out drug crimes. If you are 
um, let's put it this way. If you've got a drug problem and you come from a wealthy upper middle class neighborhood, the cops are very unlikely to even find you doing drugs in your pleasant home. If you are, however, having to do it on the streets or buy it on the streets and you are at the lower end of the economic spectrum, the cops are going to be able to get you easier. And so uh, the drug laws, for example, have a disproportionate effect on blacks. There's no question about it. Um, and I oppose drug laws as such. They're nonviolent crimes and the police are using force and violence uh, to get at it. So the war on drugs has been a bloody mess. It has created uh, racial disparities uh, in, I mean, effective racial disparities in how law is enforced. Now, our leftist friends are letting thieves and violent criminals out because the cops are bad. And if you have that kind of an attitude about crime, rather than looking at ways we can perhaps increase the effectiveness of crimes, uh, of what the cops are doing, and reduce the incidence of violence by cops in nonviolent situations, then let me suggest we get rid of these crimes that crimes that don't really violate someone else's rights, drug laws, and a whole host of other laws, which are inherently situations in which cops are bringing more force than is morally necessary to the situation. And it's having a disproportionate effect on minorities. But to let violent criminals out, to let thieves out, to ignore theft, as you point out, uh, now that now what you're going to create is this entire resentment from the community, from police, and so forth. And there'll be this slopping, this package deal that both sides are engaged in. Yep, that guy over there with the, the minor drug possession, cops, you pull out your guns and use force over there. So we'll say the conservative. And then the liberal will say, oh, no, 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 no. What we have to do is we have to let the guy who's been just charged with armed robbery out because after all, the bail laws are unfair. Uh, no. That's a totally different situation altogether. First of all, I didn't think that there was an inherent unfairness, equity issue with bail as such, even though rich people can more afford bail. What, what it is, it's securing the person's appearance in court. In certain murder cases or aggravated sex crimes, the judge can deny bail altogether, whatever your income. If it's a lesser crime, if it's a lesser crime, if you're in jail, you're getting credit for time served. If the rich person gets convicted, he's going to have to go serve the whole time in there. It, it, at the end of the day, it didn't come out in an unbalanced way. This was totally wrong. Holding felons, holding violent criminals in on bail protects the community. The police yeah. have to have probable cause to make that arrest. Um, so I think we're getting very distorted views from each side, not understanding and making the important distinctions. If the, the, the criminal is not really violating anyone else's rights, the cop is the initiator of the violence as such, as such. But we can't use that as an excuse to let violent criminals go, which seems to be what's going on. Indeed, you know, I've, I've, of course, uh, want want the drug laws to be rescinded as well. But uh, I've also read, uh, I could be mistaking this, that you know some of the disparities, for example, between cocaine and crack, which they like to highlight, you know, fall disproportionately against blacks. Um, some of those sentencing disparities were um, were encouraged by communities, by black communities, because their neighborhoods were being rotted out by drugs and associated violence. And they wanted these penalties to be hard because they wanted these drug dealers and these violent defenders out of their communities. 
And so uh, the B- Congressional Black Caucus apparently passed on all of this stuff. And Obama limited them a little bit under, you know, protest from the, of course, uh, life-hating uh, left. Um, and he limited them somewhat, but still kept the, 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 the penalties quite heavy. And that was in the interest of protecting the black community against all the rampant crime in their, in their area. Yes, sir. I lived through that very phenomenon in the 1990s. I really did. I lived through that. Well, oh, Senator Joe Biden, by the way, was a huge advocate of these minimum uh, mandatory sentences, even for nonviolent drug crimes, by the way. But I, in California, for example, if you were caught with a whole bunch of methamphetamine, we could give you a misdemeanor. We could give you a lower sentence. You didn't have to go to prison, even if you got convicted on a felony. If, however, it was cocaine, especially crack cocaine, prison mandatory, unreducible felony. Wh- what? What? How does that possibly make any sense? <laughs> it's just arbitrary. It's arbitrary. It's arbitrary and it's unjust. And you were absolutely right. At the time, there were leftist Democrats, people from the minority community who said, yes, we have to zero in on crack. Now, I think there was an exaggeration about crack babies, uh, uh, and that was well exposed at the time. But at the time, when we increased sentences on violent criminals and repeat offenders, that had a good salutary effect in reducing crime throughout the 90s and the early uh, 21st century. It was reducing crime significantly. The bad part of it was that they had mandatory minimums on nonviolent, simple drug possession type cases. And we had to wait for Donald Trump, of all people, to start getting reform against uh, you know these mandatory minimum sentences that were, again, disproportionately affecting blacks. Uh, uh, so it, we had this insane world in which we were treating uh, nonviolent drug criminals uh, really horrifically as if they were violent criminals. And that had a very unfair negative impact. So, but again, a package deal, we want to get rid of all mandatory minimum sentences, whether it's a violent criminal or a drug criminal. And again, that makes no sense to me. Um, Daniel, do we have more activity going on in the chat? Yeah, we have a super chat from Robert. Thank you for $5. He says, are cops out of control? Obviously, some cops are. Far from majority, but there's no doubt there's an ongoing training and supervision issue here. Uh, then we have a super chat from Jonathan. Thank you so much. A super chat from Ashley for $2. She says, why they have to five on one? Sounds like Fred boy tax. Yeah, it's, it's definitely... Uh... A, a glaring example of bad training, yeah. bad training, insecure cops um, yeah. on when they don't need to. As 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 Tyree said during the assault, he's like, "You guys are doing a bit much, aren't you?" Understatement of fear, but it was a, it was a it was an accurate you know observation. These guys were just piling on him, and it it was crazy. I'd be freaked out too. I'd want to run. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I mean, he's, he's only yards from his mom and he's calling out for mom. I mean, this kid, he didn't have a record of violence. He didn't have a felony record. It was just a traffic stop. My God, he must have been terrified. Uh, I can't, and how horrific. Beaten to death. He dies a couple, years, a couple of days later in a hospital. I mean, absolutely unjustifiable violence. Absolutely. I certainly or- hope the department there uh this is this is no compensation but i certainly hope that family gets highly compensated for what happened to them uh, there's no replacing right Obviously with death there can be no real compensation can there 
Uh, but on the other hand, I hope they sue the crap. Excuse my language. I hope they sue the crap out of the Memphis Police Department, the city of Memphis, and get a huge, huge settlement for that. Yeah. Um, clearly, there was a civil rights violation here. Clearly, there's a wrongful death case here. Now, what's interesting is, of course, that this the majority of the cops in the Memphis Police Department are blacks. Um, the police chief, the deputy police chief, are black. The people hiring and training here were black. It doesn't eliminate racism, in my mind, conceptually from the problem, but the idea that somehow this is an emanation of, you know, Trumpist uh, white supremacy. Now that's going over the top, it seems to me. Nonsense. It's definitely it's definitely indication that we have systemic issues with training, funding and capturing the right types of people for this job who make our communities safer. And part of that is you know, way too many laws against against people uh, attracting the wrong types of people. And the, and and then the news hyping the contention between communities that just creates really, really hyper intense potentials that just need just a little touch for them to uh, explode. And uh, we got to just we got to take our foot off the gas, man. And we got to, I think, implement some of the things that we've talked about. I've heard some of the very same same things in, across the news, but not much. I think we have a very unique voice with respect to this issue and pretty much every issue out there. James, I think we have to Daniel, do we have any more uh, super chats? We have five super chats more. Okay, wow. good. Wow, what a great day for super chats this has been. So thank you, Jonathan, for $5. He says, what do you make of Trump's at all vicious attacks on the police officers? police officer who shot rioter Ashley Babbitt. Did you hear anything about that, James? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I think it is absolutely wrong for uh, executive um, officers with our government, governors, mayors, presidents, to state uh, an opinion on a criminal case <laughs> that is pending. And I don't care. See, I'm not I can, I can make this evaluation of the cops because I saw the video footage and I'm no longer with the government. I'm not a prosecutor. I'm not involved in this. Uh, but if I were involved in this, if I were a DA, if I were someone involved in the enforcement of this law, I would want to shut up. I, I, I think it's absolutely wrong. For example, when Barack Obama there was that incident where that Harvard professor, you'll recall, was arrested. Yeah. And he said, oh, he came out criticizing. This is obviously horrible. No, it turned out to be perfectly justified. So I would really prefer it wrong or right if presidents of the United States would shut the F up about pending investigations and cases. They are taking a side. They're biasing. First of all, as a prosecutor, I don't like it because they're biasing my my potential jury pool out there. But secondly, they're the guys enforcing the law. Say what you're going to say in court, enforce it in court, and don't try and shape opinion one way or another. Besides, you're the president. You know, what you say will have an impact on this, and you are part of the government that's doing the enforcement. There were strict rules when I was a prosecutor about what I couldn't couldn't say about a crime to the media before, say, my murder case went to trial. I couldn't announce, for example, if there were, was a confession. I couldn't tell the press about this guy's, the cops could sometimes do this, they, they couldn't tell the press about his prior record, for example because we don't know what's gonna come in as evidence and what's not. And if I start telling inadmissible evidence, I'm corrupting the jury pool. But even just a public officer with the government expressing an opinion, wrong or right, I think is a bad thing. And I would wish 
that our presidents, our governors, our mayors would not opine about pending criminal cases and investigations. And I think that's I think my that, rule. I think I think that's right. I think um, as the president, you're the one elected office that is elected by the entire nation. You, that means you represent both tribes and all the people across the great United States of America. Um, and you and the last two folks, Trump, Trump and Obama, opined for their political uh, base. That was, uh, they say what they're saying because it's red meat for their political base, plain and simple. And plain so it's, a, it's just a it's just a gross political move that has nothing to do with maintaining the stature of the presidency and the chief executor of the laws of the land. What else yeah. do we have, Daniel? Uh, we have a super chat from Friday. Thank you for 100 Swedish Krona. He says, is the abundance of firearms in the U.S. a factor in police brutality? If the probability is high that the suspect is armed, a cop might be quicker to use force. No, it's not. It's not a factor. In fact, you can you can watch, uh, uh, so they have cop shows in, uh, in some of the freest constitutional carry states in the union. Alaska, for example, a cop will come up to your car and say, are you carrying a weapon? Yes, I am. And they, they just get it out in the open. It's not, it's, it's actually it's, where you have to be fearful is in the, the, the states that have the strictest gun control laws because the people not abiding by the law, uh, the, 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 the people who have guns and the people not abiding by the law and they're, uh, they're scary. They're, they're, they're the scary ones. But I don't see the prevalence of, of guns in America as causing a heightened, uh, a heightened police brutality. I think, I think it's the culture. It's the bad training. It's it's a lot a lot of things, it, you know. The presence of a gun on them can certainly um, they, they always bring lethal force to any fight they're in. And if they are not confident about how to defend themselves with a firearm on their hip, that can often make them go to lethal force much sooner uh, than than uh, than they than they would if they were trained. Uh, James, are you aware of any st- stats that? Yeah. I happen to be as gun ownership and as the number of guns in America increased dramatically in the 1990s and the early 21st century, as violent crime and crime in general and gun crime in general was on a steep decline. So the per capita crime rate and the the, uh, number of police incidents involving officer involved shootings were all declining and declining severely, even as the number of guns in America was increasing dramatically, even as per capita uh, gun ownership was increasing dramatically. Uh, So I think currently people are also buying more guns as the crime rate in cities, American cities goes up so disturbingly. Uh, But, you know, you you don't want to use post hoc, ergo propter hoc fallacy uh, as it's going up, because look at when the crime was going down. Look at when negative police incidents were going down while per capita gun ownership was going up. There is there is no relationship. And I happen to agree with Mark. I think that if there were fewer gun free zones, for example, I think if we had armed officers at schools, there'd be fewer, uh, uh, at least they'd be responded to more quickly uh, if there were security personnel with guns on school campuses. So uh, uh, quite the opposite. I think that the the mere existence of a gun, you know, just simply a store owner saying, we're protected by a gun in here, or someone in front of their home, uh, we have a firearm, just the announcement to criminals that we have a gun in here decreases the number of crimes that occur. It doesn't increase at all. 
Yeah, not only that, I want to say concealed carry permit holders not only commit crimes exponentially less than the much law, less. but much less even than police officers. So they're, <laughs> they're the most law-abiding citizens on the planet. Additionally, you get protection from the fact that the, CC, the, the, the concealed carry guy is carrying a gun because the criminal can see the armed security guy. That guy's a target, but he doesn't know how many other people are armed when there's a concealed carry in effect or a constitutional carry in effect in that state. In fact, from what I understand, this comes from, from John Lott, who I think is one of the best scholars in this field, every single one of the districts in Texas that, has, that allows their teachers to conceal carry, every single one of them has been unaffected by a mass shooting. Now, a single mass huh. shooting in those districts, um, huh. there's that there's a reason these maniacs actually talk about in their manifestos going to uh, gun-free zones because their intention is to rack up casualties to get famous to get to get you know clickbait to get points to be seen before they either are taken out by cops or uh, take themselves out um yeah so definitely steep gun purchases have 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 gone side by side with steep steep declines in crime and we can't ignore that we just simply can't ignore that exactly correct i endorse everything mark said there it's a simple fact yeah what else daniel a super chat from Catherine for five dollars thank you so much she says to mark's point maybe martial arts should be added to police academy training yes well, they Yes, it should. I know they do some forms of self-defense. They do like uh, they probably do UARA and arm bars and chokes. Um, I don't know how extensive it is now. I know several police uh, uh, districts are embracing Brenner Gracie's uh, Gracie's Jiu-Jitsu platform, and they are incorporating it and make it mandatory for their beat officers to practice Jiu-Jitsu on a regular basis. Um, I think that's very inspiring, and that model should be picked up by every police force uh, possible. Plus, martial arts—you know—it teaches you a—it teaches you a, a certain type of levelness, and it gives you a certain clarity. And I don't want to use the term humility in the wrong way. I don't like that term so much. But let's say self-perspective uh, that some cops, you know, when once they don the uniform, don't seem to have, but they will if they're in there in the dojo with people on a daily basis and getting their heads handed to them a little bit. Um, I know something. There's something too about martial arts training that does do get you into your head about calming down, being perceptive. That your attitude is an important part of it, and that I think, as much as anything, is what these new young cops need. <laughs> right? Look at the look at sort of the pack mentality, and that's what it was. It was kind of a wolf pack mentality. This psychology that got into the minds of these cops. Uh, obviously had to take over at some point. Uh, it's yeah. Very, it's a very, it's a very small man, insecure mentality that thinks I have to scream loud and hit you in the face hard to make you do what I want you to do. You don't have to at all. You just have right. to know what and that will speak for itself. But Mark's and, right. There's a big difference between the training recommended and required from district to district, from local law enforcement agency to local law enforcement agency. It's increasingly being embraced, I know. And I hope it is universally embraced uh but there is still a lot of variation from different agency to different agency on the, the kind of training they get um in self-defense martial arts jujitsu daniel what else 
A super chat from Michael for $10. Thank you so much. He says, I know a lot of cops who are somewhat sociopathic with an inferi inferi inferiority complex. Yeah, that's true. Lots, lots of cops as a DA. I knew lots and lots of cops, hundreds and hundreds did I meet and I worked with very closely, both street cops and detectives and FBI agents, all alike. And there is a wide variety. They're human beings just like the rest of us. In my experience, and it is anecdotal in my empirical experience, the vast majority are taking the job because they have a moral purpose, a moral purpose. And most of them are principled people. Most of them are principled people. On the other hand, it is being given a gun and a billy club and power and the ability to use force. And so that also has the magnetic effect on people who are not psychologically so stable and people who are looking for a power trip uh, for reasons of insecurity. So I think both can be true. I think that the large majority can be moral principled people going into it for good reasons. And still you can have uh, a regular segment that are always there of people who make it through. And that's why we need the psychological screening. That's why we need careful hiring practices. That's why we need really good training so we can ferret out these people. But yeah, the promise of a gun and a billy club, certain really bad psychologies are attracted to that as well. So it doesn't surprise me that you'd know a group of them. In my experience, I saw that myself. There were some cops who had a dangerous psychology. Uh, and, you know, behind the scenes, I'm there whispering to their supervisor, maybe this person is better with a desk job, as Mark says, than being out on the field in Saturday, on Saturday nights. Yeah. Well, and you know, there's a book called The Sociopath Next Door that I think sort of levels the, uh, the assertion, uh, I think backed by stats, I don't quite remember that somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25% of the population verges into and is sociopathic in nature. Certainly in Hollywood, there's lots of those. In there. <laughs> there's also lots of really good people. Hollywood also gets a bad rap that it doesn't deserve in a lot of ways. And, and people, they don't know Hollywood, just like they don't know cops. It's a different culture for them. So they, they sort of impose their own uh, notions of, uh, of what, what, what the people are, are all about. And, and certainly those folks, especially when we're, when we're lowering the, the qualifications, when we're, when we're upping their, their, their power, their capacity to control other people with, uh, by making lots of things illegal that shouldn't be illegal, you're going to attract a certain element over others. That's for sure. Um, and changing some of those exterior elements will, I think, weed out the bad apples and making them train the way they have to to show restraint and to be community minded uh, will also, I think, weed out the bad apples or at least, you know, put them where they, you know, in the, in the bushel they need to be in. Any other yeah. side? A last super chat from Free Trade for 50 Swedish Krona. Thank you so much. He says, in your estimation, what percentage of police work is a consequence of the criminalization of drugs? Half the people that are incarcerated in American jails and prisons today are there because of the drug laws. Does that answer your question? Tomorrow, if we legalize drugs, decriminalize drugs, we could effectively double our police force without spending a dime. It's that simple. Right. Nearly every single one of the, you know, I did for a, long, for a long time in the DA's office, I would do uh, appellate work and search and seizure motions. 
Uh, and I can tell you that the vast majority, something like 80%, 90% of the dubious searches, the question searches, come from drug laws. And so we have to bend the rules about search and seizure. Why? Because we have to enforce drug laws. No, we don't. The, the point is those bends happen because of the drug laws. When you make the possession of something, the mere possession of something, a crime, right? Consider that half the people incarcerated today are incarcerated because of some kind of drug law. Yeah, and also, and also the uh, I don't. What do they call the phenomenon when the cops can break into your house, uh, uh, sort of lay siege to your house and arrest you? To, no, not anyway, warrants. But the, no, not warrants. Whatever those were, they were. I mean, b- before the drug laws started really taking effect, they were those. That was an extremely limited phenomenon, which has just shot through the roof exponentially. The idea that the police can bust into your house in the middle of the night, drag you out of bed and lock you up and or shoot your dog and or possibly kill your wife because she thinks they're being invaded by, you know, a home invasion robber, uh, all all because you're in possession of a a substance that they've arbitrarily decided is uh, illegal is a travesty of justice. It is a fascistic in the extreme. And it totally agree. How many times was I on search warrant duty, you know, or you've got the phone 24-7 and you've got the judge who's on uh, call and the detective calls you up and says, hey, I want a search warrant. And you cover with him the evidence to see if we have enough evidence to bother the judge at two in the morning to try and get a night warrant. Uh, But to get night service or to get no knock uh, permission, that's a very rare thing. And you have to have special justification for the cop to say, well, because the judge will say, well, why can't you do this tomorrow morning during daylight business hours? Or why do you have to avoid the police demanding entry notice before you start breaking in a door and give people some fair notice? Those things do have a dramatic impact on what goes down during the execution of that warrant. People like you say, Mark, are much more likely at two in the morning. What the heck is going on? And are these criminals? What's going on? Um, And you're also absolutely right that, again, this is disproportionately involving drug cases. The reason why we can't have a no-knock warrant, Mr. Valiant, I am told, is because they'll destroy the drug evidence. Oh, okay. So uh, that's your problem. You're not worried so much about physical evidence about a you know a violent crime. That 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 probably won't disappear so much. But if it is, okay, there should be a mechanism for I think no knock warrants. I think there should be a mechanism for nighttime service. But those are comparatively few in other cases. Drug cases are a lot of the time, if not, it's hard for me. I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but I want to say most of those cases are generated by drug cases where they're just breaking into homes. Um, Another thing, asset forfeiture laws. My God, how unfair and awful those things are. And again, it motivates the cops to say, yeah, we want to surprise them and catch those drugs in the house. So give us nighttime service and no knock authority. It's a very dangerous thing to give cops. Yep, certainly is. Daniel, what else you got? Those are all the super chats. Well, you know, I, I want to thank everyone for the super chats. We've been having really a stellar time in recent days with uh, super chats. We really have, and I want to thank all of you for doing that. We've got some great stuff coming up later this week. Uh, tomorrow, I think, for the collective. We'll have an episode called It's a Wonderful Life, Ayn Rand, something like that. It's what a wonderful would, rant. 
It's a wonderful rand. Uh, so what would life be like? What would the world be like? What would reality look like if we just removed Ayn Rand from history? What a fascinating discussion that'll be for the collective tomorrow. Uh, this Sunday for paid subscribers of Ayn Rand Center UK, we will be starting a whole new Leonard Peikoff course for those who are involved uh, in the Sunday seminars. Objectivism, the state of the art. And we've got a bunch, new, bunch of new people who are going to be there. You can actually participate in a discussion in that. So do consider becoming a paid subscriber to the Ayn Rand Center UK. You get all kinds of perks, uh, and that's one of them. Um, so I want to thank you for joining us today, and it's always a pleasure to be with you, Mark. Um, I have to say, um, let's do this again and soon. <laughs> let's do it, James. Great to see you guys, and we'll catch you on the other side. Peace. Peace.